0: hello and welcome to the query show i am your host blair thornburg editor author query fanatic and uh this is the first episode i'm recording in 2019 so happy new year i hope you had a great one I spent New Year's Day being very glamorous and watching the movie Rudy in my pajamas. This is a sports movie, it was my husband's idea. And as always, I was mentally charting the plot points as I watched The Call to Adventure, The Road of Trials, or whatever. I don't always remember the names. If you aren't familiar with the movie, Rudy is about Samwise Gamgee learning to play football. Or okay, not exactly, it's just the same actor. And he wasn't actually Samwise Gamgee yet. Point is. Rudy wants to play for Notre Dame so badly, and he just keeps getting rejected. Like, seriously, I knew how the movie was going to end, because it's a sports movie, and I was still like, "Geez, they are really making it rough on him. And watching that and thinking about story structure... I got thinking about the montage, that road of trials portion where the hero or heroine keeps getting knocked on their butt back into the mud and goes to the meat locker and punches the big hunk of beef and runs up the art museum stairs and takes princess lessons with her exacting grandmother. And I realized that in life and in your creative work, those montage moments are so much longer than the ones on screen. You can be in your montage phase for months or years. It's a long, long time of long, long work. Now, narratively, on screen, the montages can't be that long. The audience will get bored. It has to be compressed to fit in the timeline. But IRL? Montage is actually most of doing anything. It's the discipline, the repeated action, the unflagging passion. So, as you set out on this year's writing, keep that montage in mind. It's going to be longer than the picture shows will have you believe but you will knock out Apollo Creed. You will sack the opposing QB. You will stop that evil count from taking over the throne of Genovia and give Mandy Moore her comeuppance. You will finish that book. And on that note, today we have two middle grade queries, which I can't wait to launch into. So let's get started. Our first middle grade query today comes from Kent. Thank you, Kent, for sending this in. Uh, I am going to read the query in its entirety, and then I'll go paragraph by paragraph and give my notes. Dear Agent, 12-year-old Jacob is better than anyone at running away, yet he still can't shake Willard, who bullies him every day. He tries to escape the problem by dreaming, but his dreams transport him into the world of Kimaran, where he's confronted by Aljor, who takes a special interest in making him miserable. Until he sees himself differently, figures out how to be brave, and makes allies out of other kids who are being picked on, including smelly Deli, he won't have a life without bullies. The Boy Who Dreamed of a New Life is a completed 40,000-word novel which takes the middle-grade reader along on Jacob's adventure to find the courage to speak up for himself. It includes a dusting of magical realism when Jacob visits Kimeran, yet his most important growth happens in his everyday life. Like Susie Swanson in The Thing About Jellyfish, Jacob feels awkward around most everyone and overthinks everything. This story is meant to encourage any child who feels different to find their place in the world and their value to others. It is a standalone novel with serious potential. About the author. I'm well-suited to write this book because at times I was bullied, while at other times I did the bullying, putting others down with my words. Experiencing both sides makes a difference in how I see the characters. I am a member of SCBWI and the Wisconsin Writers Association. I've attended the 2015 and 2017 Novel in Progress Bootcamp, where I was awarded the Fox Ridge Scholarship. I also attended the 2016 Writers Institute in Madison, Wisconsin. I'm beginning to build my web presence. Thank you for your time and your thoughtful consideration. Okay, so let's tackle this one paragraph at a time. So first we get the introduction to Jacob, who's good at running away and dreams his way into a magical realm. This first paragraph nicely sets up who our protagonist is. We learn that Jacob is 12 years old, he's a master at running away, and he has a problem in the form of a bully. Plus, we see where complications begin to creep in. Jacob has a strategy for dealing with this problem, but it just leads to new, bigger, and more fantastical problems. That said, there are still some information gaps. What kind of running away is Jacob good at? Is it literally running away in a track and field sense? Or a metaphorical hiding from his problem sense? or a running away from home sense. Similarly, how does dreaming provide an escape? Is he actually sleeping? I'm guessing so, based on what the next sentence says, but he could also be daydreaming. Either way, I'm curious about how sleeping and dreaming might help him avoid an in-the-moment confrontation with Willard. Next, we come to the fantasy elements. An unpopular kid seeking refuge in a fantasy world is a classic trope for a reason. Kids love the idea of escape to somewhere magical. Who doesn't? The real world is confusing and, as Jacob probably knows, can be mean. However, I'd like to see Jacob showing a little more agency here. When his dreams transport him to the world of Kimaran, is Jacob choosing to be transported or is he taken against his will? I want to know more about what he's doing, whichever is the case. The problem with dreams is that characters can't control their own dreams or what they do in them, so dreams inherently involve giving up agency. And I want to know more about Aljor. Who is he, she, or they, and what is their role within this world? What is this world all about in general, for that matter? We just need more details. Clearly, this world is unlike ours, but how is it unlike ours? Similarly, what does taking a special interest in making him miserable entail? We can't really understand what Aljor is doing to Jacob until we know what they're doing generally in Kimaran, what their role or job or fate is. Next, we have a short paragraph describing what Jacob will have to do to solve his problems. Quit picking on other kids, including smelly deli, and hopefully avoid bullies. This next paragraph uses a nice grammatical structure to show what's needed to achieve the ultimate goal. Until Jacob does X, he doesn't get Y. Nice work. It's very clearly phrased. However, this paragraph is also compact, very compact, and I'd say too compact. There's no mention of Kimaran or Aljan, so I don't know what the role of the fantasy is in achieving Jacob's goal of avoiding bullies. That thread needs to get pulled along into this next section, too. Otherwise, it's hard to know what kind of story this book is. Is it a fantasy? The until phrase could also use some more specificity. What does it mean for Jacob to see himself differently? How does he see himself now? And how does that relate to the dream world he's found himself in? Likewise, it really goes without saying that he needs to figure out how to be brave to solve his problems. Bravery is pretty inherent to rising triumphant from any quest. The question of any story is how does this particular character surmount their personal obstacles? The devil is in the details. To refine that here, the author could foreshadow a bit more in the previous paragraph. He could drive home not only that Jacob is bullied, but also that Jacob doesn't consider himself particularly brave. Does Jacob have a particular fear or worry? What's his biggest concrete stumbling block? Well, not literally concrete, but you know what I mean. For example, rather than fear, make it fear of the scary dog that lives on the corner. Mention that both in the introduction and then here. It seems like it could be Willard, but again, we just need more specificity and connection. Finally, Smelly Deli. What a name, totally apropos for middle grade. But just who is this mysterious smelly? Probably not a friend of Jacob's, I'm guessing. Thing is, we can't know the significance of allying with Smelly Deli until we know who Smelly Deli is. Their name suggests a lot, quite a lot, but still not enough. Dropping in some more details about who they are and why Jacob wouldn't want to team up with them will give this more oomph. Now we have the summary paragraph, including the word count and some comp titles. Lots of good information here and answers a lot of the classic query questions. We know how long the book is, that it's an appropriate length for the age category, middle grade, we get a nice comp title with a character who shares qualities with this protagonist, and we get a mention of genre, magical realism in this case. However, again, I'm still not sure exactly what kind of story this is, even after this paragraph. To put it another way, I don't know where the story takes place. Is it mostly in Kimaran, the fantasy world? The first paragraph had me thinking this would be a portal fantasy, That is, a fantasy where the protagonist escapes into a different world through, you know, a portal. But now it seems like Jacob might actually move between our world and the magical world. This could be cleared up in the previous paragraph. Adding in, as Jacob does X and Y sentence would fill in this gap. For example, as Jacob shuttles between the real world and his dreams, and so on. A few smaller nitpicks. There's no need to mention that the novel is complete, since the agent will assume it is, and if your novel isn't complete, you shouldn't be querying it. Also, I wouldn't mention what the story is meant to do. It's clear from the content of the plot that this story is one about overcoming bullying, and agents are generally turned off by anything that seems too much like a moral. It's a noble goal for a story, of course, and books for younger readers should teach them something about the world, but a lesson or takeaway doesn't belong in a query because it's not a selling point. The story is. The characters are. And now we come to the about the author closing paragraph. I realized after some conversations with Query Show patrons on Twitter that these last lines can be agonizing for writers. But fear not, you can do it. And most of you do it great. I actually did a whole bonus episode on writing those if you want to listen, you can join us as a patron. But in this case. The credentials are all nicely done. There are professional organizations, some conference attendances. This is clearly a writer who's devoting a lot of time and effort into his career and craft, A+. However, there's no real need to mention building a web presence. Agents aren't really worried about an author with a big platform for a debut novel. Again, the book comes first, the website and everything comes later. I also don't think the author needs to dive too deep into his inspiration and qualifications for writing the novel. Again, it's a wonderful reason to write a book, and one that's clearly personally meaningful to the writer. But query letters have to stay brief, and in this letter's case, I'd rather see more sentences spent on the plot and fewer sentences on the bio. There's still so much I'm curious to know about Jacob's world. Remember, the number one priority of a query is to make the story sound like an irresistible must-read. The stuff around the book is important, too, but at this stage in the publication process, it's a secondary concern. So lengthwise, you want the meat of your query to be about story. Query number two today comes from Sharon. Thank you, Sharon. This is also a middle grade, albeit not a fantasy, about bullying and marshmallows. Anyway, I'll read the entire query first and then go paragraph by paragraph. Dear Agent, Roxy and her misfit friends think achieving a world record through a school contest will gain them respect. Instead, after some sticky attempts, Roxy finds herself isolated, facing a decision of loyalty versus fame. How do you survive being the quirky kids at school? You stick together like wet marshmallows. 10-year-old Impulsive Roxy is a loyal leader to her gang of friends, the Rogue Team Four. Her best friend, Repeat Pete, who has OCD, Monan Jones, who complains about everything and loves poetry, and freckled Spotty Scotty, a genius with a crush on Roxy's perfect older sister. When there's a chance to land a spot on her favorite TV show, Daring Deeds, Roxy convinces the team to attempt to break a world record through the school's contest to secure the TV spot. Roxy thinks if their group can become famous by winning the contest and being on TV, they will finally get respect from all the kids who tease and bully them. Not to mention, Roxy could finally prove to her parents that she's just as good as her sister by winning something instead of always messing up. After some failed attempts at other records that involve popping balloons and lobbing oranges at each other, the team chooses to try for most marshmallows caught in the mouth with a homemade catapult in one minute. The pressure of trying to win breaks down the friend's motto, four is stronger than one. When Roxy finds herself in the schoolyard alone and bullied worse than ever, she finally realizes she should never have turned her back on her friends. Realizing the true value of their friendship and seeing just how strong the rest of the group is changes Roxy's perspective on the contest. The team gets back together and vows to stick together till the end, learning that being your own true self is sometimes enough, especially when you have such loyal friends. I am a former social media and managing marketer, a writer with publishing credits in various magazines, and a member of SCBWI. My website encourages kids to read and write. Sticking Together Like Wet Marshmallows is a contemporary middle-grade novel complete at 34,000 words with serious potential. Please note this is a multiple submission. Thank you for your time and consideration. Okay, so the first paragraph, introducing Roxy and what happens to her and her misfit friends. I love the idea of kids attempting to break a world record, because who didn't as a kid? Or at least think about it maybe give some attempts. It's a premise just brimming with potential for hijinks and hijinks are great in middle grade. That said, I don't know that this first paragraph is necessary. It's actually just a single sentence. All the information covered here is also covered later and it kind of summarizes the entire story. Plus it confuses the reader about where the query letter actually starts. So I'd advise this author to just launch in with the next paragraph. Speaking of which next paragraph, introducing all of Rogue Team 4 and surviving being quirky. Sticking together like wet marshmallows is a delightfully sticky metaphor. In this paragraph, we get a good overview of all the characters and all their colorful nicknames, but also their main problem. They're quirky and that makes it tough to survive. Middle school can be rough. Ordinarily, I'm not a big fan of starting a query with a question, rhetorical or otherwise, but in this case, I think you could argue it works just because the answer is so unexpected. Wet marshmallows, what the? You get the sense that this is a phrase straight from the mouth of one of the characters, presumably Roxy. However, what I would want to know about is who or what is threatening their survival. Presumably some sort of bully, but who and how? It's probably not a literal need to survive, so if it's not life and death, what are the stakes? And what kind of bad situations do the Rogue Team 4 find themselves in? Finally, on the topic of Repeat Pete and his OCD, I do have to note that mental illness is a sensitive topic in children's literature and not something that an author ought to portray as a quirk. Agents and editors are very concerned, and rightly so, with portraying mental illness in a way that's sensitive and authentic. If this author doesn't herself have experience with obsessive-compulsive disorder, I strongly suggest she hire a sensitivity reader to review the manuscript and give her notes on the representation. This is not at all to assume ill intent on the part of the author, by the way. I haven't read the manuscript, and I don't have OCD myself, so it's not for me to judge. What is for me to judge is what an agent or editor will think, and that's what they'll want to know. Did this author do her due diligence? Is this book treating this real issue sensitively? It's something that's necessary for what my friend Dory calls the ethic of care in children's books. And maybe this author's already taken care of that and worked with a sensitivity reader, which is great. Now we get to the paragraph all about daring deeds, the world records, and Roxy ending up by herself. I don't know what it is about fake reality and game shows and books, but I love them. I would want to watch an episode of Daring Deeds. This paragraph, likewise, does a pretty good job of establishing the classic goal, motivation, and conflict. Goal, break a world record. Motivation, get the bullies off their backs, and for Roxy, prove she's as good as her sister. Conflict, the pressure to perform tears the friends apart. It's that last one, conflict, that I think could use a little sharpening, though. We know these four friends all have very different personalities, so how do those four personalities pull apart the friend group as the competition looms? I also think there's some condensing to do. It's a long paragraph, which I realize you can't see unless you're looking at the actual version on the website, and I'd argue that it should get broken into two. But beyond that, the author could run some sentences together just to save words. For example, the first two sentences could be simply, When the school holds a contest to appear on her favorite TV show, Daring Deeds, Roxy convinces the team to attempt to break a world record so they can finally get respect from the bullies at school. Boom. The last two lines about Roxy realizing the true value of friendship and the team getting back together could use a little refining, too. For one, I think they give up too much of the plot. Or really, the resolution. This would be better served with an in-order-to-succeed-at-X, she'll-have-to-Y kind of structure, and leave it up to the reader to wonder whether she will do Y to succeed at X. Beyond that, the idea of realizing the value of friendship and the idea of being true to yourself are both pretty broad and abstract. Besides the paragraph listing all the friends, I don't feel like I really know what Roxy's true self is beyond being impulsive and a bit of an also-ran to her sister. Furthermore, how has she been pretending to be different? And then, backing up a bit, why does she find herself bullied worse than ever? I'm guessing it's because she's lost the backup of her friends, but it's still hard to tell what exactly triggers it. Finally, as an overall point, I think this paragraph needs more of the other characters' personalities in it. It's hard to write an ensemble cast, and it's even harder to condense that cast into a query letter. But again, we can't know how or why the friend group fractures if we don't really understand what keeps it together in the first place, why it sticks together like wet marshmallows. So for this paragraph, I suggest the author break it into two, condense and trim a bit, and then weave back in some of the rogue team four personalities, especially as it relates to achieving that goal of the world record. Now the bio paragraphs about work history, memberships, publishing credits, all good. Just enough personal information to get to know this author and her work. My two tweaks here would be to mention the name of the website that encourages kids to read and write. Is this a personal site or one that she runs as a separate project? And to eliminate the line about a multiple submission. Agents will by default assume that you're querying more than one of them at a time, otherwise it would take forever. So you don't really need to point that out. Thanks, Sharon. This sounds like a really fun book. And there we have it, the first show recorded in 2019 in the can. Thank you so much for listening. It's always a pleasure to do this. I'm glad I finally got some middle grade on the show because I love middle grade. Thanks again to Kent and Sharon for being brave and sending in your queries. May you receive multiple offers and have your books go to auction. If you would like to have your query on The Query Show, that would be fantastic. Just go to thequeryshow.com and fill out a submission form. You'll upload the query right there. Super simple. Particularly if you write romance, I would love to do some upcoming romance shows, so seriously, fire away. Or tell your friends. And speaking of tell your friends, if you like this podcast, tell your friends. Or give the show a rating on iTunes or wherever you listen. Just helps people find the show. Also, if you'd like more resources for querying, the Query Show Patreon is getting stuffed to the gills. And it's been really fun talking with the patrons, so I really encourage you to join in. You get written copies of the critiques to download and look at, plus bonus episodes and deep dives on publishing stuff, agent interviews, and way more. I'm about to record an interview with one of my dear friends, Kate Browning, who's a former editor at Entangled and runs the Breakthrough Writers Workshop. It's going to be a blast, and we're going to talk all about subtips and building a writing career. I do The Query Show because I love it, but, you know, it takes a lot of work and money, and so the patrons make that possible, and in return, we have a great time. Also at thequeryshow.com, you can listen to all of the back episodes and join our mailing list for that free querying workbook written by me. I think it's very helpful. So that's it for now. Happy New Year. I've been your host, Blair Thornburg. Till next time, knock 'em dead.